0: You guys, I'm so excited today to hear. We have Tracy Packman Holloway. She is a PhD and an award-winning psychologist, professor, author, TEDx speaker. She has published 15 books and has 100 scientific articles on the brain and memory. She has also provided consultancy in the World Bank on reading and developing countries and sought after speaker internationally. Her research has also been featured on BBC, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Forbes, Bloomberg, The Washington Post, Newsweek, and many others. She was also featured on an expert in the documentary, The Observed Life. Tracy, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your time and your talent with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Christy. The minute I heard about your podcast, I was so excited to be on it with you.
0: Well, um, I like read through your stuff, read through what you do and your life's work. And I'm like, this is right up my alley. And I think that is such a relevant conversation and a topic that so many of us need to hear. We need to talk about, we need to understand, and we really don't. We're never taught how our brain works. We're never taught these myths. And then even as women, we're never taught Well, we're taught things, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But it might not be the right things in our, in our brain. So, um, what kind of led you down the path of what you're kind of doing and teaching and you wrote a book called think like a girl so i'm curious like what kind of led you the backstory of getting you down this path
1: yeah, you know, I, you know, as you're saying, Christy, we often as women hear all these myths about, oh, well, you're emotional when you make decisions, or women have to be more like a man to be a good leader, or we just don't take risks, or we experience more mental health issues. And I really, throughout my research as a psychologist and as a researcher, the more I would get into the scientific studies, the more I realized that all of the evidence in the research was presented as a one-size-fits-all and i began to kind of unpack my own data and i've you know worked from small samples of 20 plus to thousands of people in my samples as well and the more i began to kind of get into that a little bit more i began to see very different patterns emerging across the board whether it's in leadership or mental health or how we make decisions and so on and i really felt that you know as a young girl i wish someone had written a book for me like this to kind of come and say hey you know, maybe someone told you this, but actually here's what your brain is really doing. And here's the next step. Here's how you can maximize your strength, your your superpower, your skills, or really just the status quo, rather than just taking on board the myth and trying to create a narrative out of that.
0: I can tell from your personality and even just how you carry yourself, though, you are a strong female. You're a strong woman. And, you know, your credentials obviously speak for yourself as well. Um, You know, is that something that you've always been had that leadership knack from like a young age? Do you think that different people ine- inevitably have that different women have that from a young age that,
1: that maybe other women don't, that it just doesn't quite get developed in them yet? Uh, that is such a great question. And, you know, like I talk about that in one of the chapters, actually, the the mental health, the happiness chapter where, you know, sometimes we hear, oh, just be happy. And it sounds so glib and so easy, like, oh, just do it, you know, just and, um, flip a switch like, <laughs> as if we could. Exactly. Exactly. And so really at that time of my life, I was going through a lot of personal challenges and Um, and I write about this in the chapter where it was literally difficult for me just to even get out of my car and walk into my office just, and I would tell myself just one foot in front of the other. And so that whole be happy really wasn't cutting it for me at that time. And that's when I, you know, I turned to research and I began to see that for women, when we're in that to, to gain strength, it isn't about just doing or having that sense of agency, though that is important for women. What makes the biggest difference that causes a shift into mental well-being is being able to kind of step out of that ruminative process to be able to step out of that cycle and it's just it's such a completely different approach and we we maybe don't share that with women as much but you know this was a, a study based on literally thousands of men and women so I could actually look at different patterns to how our brain was working. And so for me, um, you know, I, I got a chance to live some of the things that I talk about in my book and how to make decisions on distress, how to approach mental health, and began to see that maybe some of the myths that I learned um, as a girl, as a young girl, and I grew up in Malaysia, so even as an Asian female, you know, one are those myths that are uh, bundled there and how to really address how my brain is actually working and then, you know, and capitalize on that instead.
0: So I'm going to break down a couple of your things that you talk about and like we're just going to, we're going to dive into each of them. So <laughs> the first one is like stress and decision-making. And the myth is women make emotional decisions uh, when they are stressed. Um, and I think that it couldn't anyone make an emotional decision when they're stressed. Like you shouldn't make an emotional decision when you're stressed. You should make sure you're, you're a calm mind. But I do think that um, as a female, and I think that's not just a female, I think as in, someone that's very empathetic, I can consider myself an empath. Um, I do have a hard time being an owner, being a CEO, being, you know, these roles and all these that I need to be separating my emotions at time. And I think that from a business perspective, that's actually a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's been a good thing because I do the right thing. It's a bad thing because sometimes I don't do the right thing for the business, you know, and Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, So kind of kind of digest and and break that down. Um, And you talk about sticking your hand in a bucket.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, So break all that down for me. Christy, I love that you shared a bit of your personal journey as a CEO as well. And that's really what I wanted to do in that specific chapter. I I look at Mary Barra, who's the first female CEO of General Motors and, you know, the time in which she took that on board. But really for for any woman who's in a position of leadership, whether, you know, you have just yourself as an independent business owner or whether you're running this multinational company, the challenges remain the same. We, first of all, often have that barrier that every time you make a decision, someone may be side-eyeing you like... Is she just saying that because she's emotional right now? You know, the minute you raise your voice or anything, it's we're emotional. And so, the way I wanted to look at that from a research or scientific perspective is, I gave my um, my participants in the lab what's called a philosophical dilemma. And some of your listeners may be familiar with this. It's called the trolley dilemma. It's actually made its way to to some popular TV shows where. You have this train or trolley hurtling towards you, and it's going to endanger the lives of five people, but you can save them. But to do so, you have to harm one person by either pulling a switch so that the trolley switches tracks that it's on, you know, harming this one individual, but saving five. So this classic dilemma, what do you do? And multiple studies, whether it's you know using a virtual reality simulation, whether it's using just reading it on a piece of paper, all demonstrate the same pattern women are far less likely to make that what we called cold decision. In other words, that utilitarian decision where we're more uh, willing to sacrifice the one for the five, just like you're talking, Christy. You know, sometimes you make a decision for the person, but maybe not so much for the company. And because you you have the sense of empathy, that's exactly what the studies show, is that women are not weak when they prioritize a person. What they are being driven by or governed by is a need to protect which is very different from the men's decision making. And it's not not one is not right or wrong or better or worse. It's really just depending on the situation that you're in and the decision that you need, need to make. But I think as a woman, if you understand that when you're making a decision that is maybe not utilitarian, so a hot decision or a more emotionally driven decision, that's not a negative thing you're being driven by a very positive emotion which is empathy which is the desire to protect and avoid harm for the individual now as a as a leader and as a as a woman in in a position of leadership you may wish to switch that uh uh track and you may say look i i do feel for this person and i'm really having a hard time looking beyond the individual to look at the kind of greater good how can I do that? And that's what I found in my lab. I use different kinds of what um, psychologists call stresses, where literally I would have people stick their hand in a bucket of ice for a minute. So it's psychologically safe, physically safe. We're not going to get frostbite or anything. But what that does is it overloads the amygdala, which is your brain's emotional center. And so that brain's emotional center is so focused on the acute sensation of pain that you have in your bucket, your hand is in that bucket of ice, and it frees up the front of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, which is your rational or your cold decision-making center to actually look away from the person just from a moment and say, what's the big picture? What's my bigger goal that I need to focus on? And again, you know, I want to reiterate it. One is not right or wrong. It's really just as a leader, what kind of decision do you feel you need to make? And if you feel you need to, to, to make that kind of more rational decision, that bucket of ice could be your next best friend.
0: I feel like the the biggest lesson in my life, not a lot in my life, but maybe the last couple of years has been that emotional mastery.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: understanding, you know, what it is and how to reset it and, and how that really governs your day and where your energy output is going and wherever your energy is going, your, your, your energy is flowing, you know, that's what's going to get done or not get done or, um, and so I've done a bunch of work in studying and reading and, uh, just in my own practice. And, uh, one of the things is Hoffman. Are you familiar with his work? Iceman? Yep.
1: Yes. Jim Hoffman. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm familiar with this work. I've, d- I've been doing, you know, some of his stuff, his breathing techniques, his cold shower techniques, yep. <laughs> which is kind of that emotional reset. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Um, so this is, that's very interesting. And I think that's a great tip for people that, uh, are kind of still on. Like I've, I'm, I'm very open and honest about I'm, I'm on where I'm at on my journey, and I think that a lot of us are on different points in our journey. And if you're struggling, I think these are great tips that you can apply because I think we all have whether it's a big, like we said, CEO, whether it's a big decision or a small decision, like whatever decision and, and problem that you have in front of you is a big thing because it's your problem. Um, so I think that's is all great, great information. So let's talk about women and risk taking, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause in, in general, women don't take risk. And the myth, <laughs> myth is right, they, you know, it's just men can take the risk, women can't. And for my own self, uh, I'll just make it a personal journey. I'll open it up and you can kind of unpack it. Um, I feel like I've been able to take some really massive risk in my life, but I did it in a place where I had a little bit of safety and security. Mm-hmm. So I'm divorced. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I was married in my life, like you know, I feel like I started businesses and, and did all these like big things, mm-hmm. but I feel like I had security and safety in certain areas of my life. There was like, and so I feel like I have been again on a journey of learning how to take risk mm-hmm. in all areas of life. And I feel like in the, in the space of risk is where we think, we shouldn't step but that's where growth happens
1: mm-hmm. that's
0: where you know fear happens and fear can be a good thing and a bad thing depending mm-hmm. on what it is mm-hmm. uh fear can breed that growth um so i'm curious as far as you know overall in general what you're gonna say about women and their inability to take risks because i call it <laughs> bullshit. <laughs>
1: I I love that. And you know, I went in with an open mind when I started doing the research and I actually start with the story of um, a really dear friend of mine who's in media and she does these Spartan races. And I'm sure you've heard, you know, all the kind of stats of the injuries, the accidents and so on. And Spartan racing is so dangerous. So really what I do is I look at that chapter, first of all, what we call the perception of risk versus the actual risk. So for example, crossing the street is far more risky as far as mortality rates, Per million compared to jumping out of a plane. Uh, swimming uh, is far more risky than say cycling. So again these activities that you know we don't think of actually we think of perception of risk more than actual risk when we calibrate our decision making. But for women what I found makes the big difference and a lot of the research shows first of all the studies tend to focus on very male driven and by that I mean high adrenaline risk-taking activities. Not the kind of risk that you just shared, Christy, that, hey, you know, sometimes in life, we take a leap. We don't know where we're going to land, but that is risky. But the research isn't looking at that. It's looking at, are you going to drive a fast car? Are you going to jump out of a plane? And we use a very narrow definition of risk. We are going to take a quick
0: little break to hear a word from our sponsor.
1: This podcast is brought to you by StartPlanner.com, your tool for a more organized life. Featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc.com, Start Planner was created to meet the demands of today's busy lifestyle, helping you to plan, execute, and organize every aspect of your life in one concise system. Align schedules, to-dos, finances, health, wellness, goal setting, and clear action steps to all work together and drive results. Learn more at StartPlanner.com. To identify how men and women take risk. So first of all, I think that whole paradigm is, is flawed because we're not considering everyday life and how really everyday a lot of us are put in positions where we have the opportunity to take make a risky decision and, and do we choose to make that leap or not. And so the research that has looked at more everyday type of decisions find that women are just as likely as men to, to take those risks, just like the ones you're talking about, whether it's in business, whether it's in life, whether it's in personal relationships, whether it's for growth. But the big motivating factor for women to take that risk is that they look at a different calculation. They look not so much at, you know, how will my friends view me or how well you know, kind of how will I look, but more so, what is that, again, what is that feeling trade off for me? How am I gonna feel when I make that decision? And if that feeling is a positive feeling, then that risk becomes worth it. And again, I've looked at this in my own research, I've looked at other researchers as well, and we see the same pattern. So for a woman, it's not about, hey, just do it, you know, just jump. I think if we ask the question of ourselves, by taking this risk, what is it going to give us? What kind of feeling are we going to end up with? And if it's a positive, as a woman, we're more likely to say, well, then it's not a big risk at all. In other words, we kind of you know, downplay the risk. Our perception of risk uh, kind of de-escalates. And we say, our perception of risk isn't that great because the feeling that I'm going to get when I make this decision is going to be so much greater and so much more positive. Right. I love it. Uh, so that'll kind of lead us to the next
0: thing, which is leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a lot of times a good leader has to take risk. Mm -hmm. Um, that kind of goes hands in hand and women are told they need to act more like men or, you know, to be effective leaders. Uh, and again, I will have my own opinion, but I'm going to let you like unravel the research there um you know I think men and women were inevitably different and Mm -hmm. I think that there's beauty to our two different personalities and there's space for both like I mean I, I I don't know if you know I believe that that's how we were created you know but I think that women necessarily you know saying that they're not a good as good of leaders and overall like they haven't been you know Looking at all the the statistics and the data, they haven't been, which that's changing more and more. Um, so, what did you find in that as far as in in as far as relationship centric uh, women being better leaders?
1: And and you know, this is such a fascinating question because um, one of the things, one of the hats that I get to wear is being a professor uh, at a university. So I get to be part of a lot of people's lives young people's lives and you know some of them are women and one group of them came up to me and they said you know we really want to know you know we're going to be graduating soon what is it like to be a female leader in the workplace what are the kind of skills and why are there no studies on that and so i i really was excited to be able to to first of all run this this project with them but then i also did consultancy with a a kind of Um, a network in New York City that is geared towards women and creating information and expertise for women. So I've had a chance to look from just as we're entering the workplace to us being in the workplace and what that means uh, for women. And the first thing I think that was a big takeaway for me was that we need to stop labeling leadership styles as good or bad or right or wrong. Because again, you know, just like we talked about a bit earlier, it's not that one leadership style is better or worse. It's really just what that situation calls for. So the, you know the research talks about two main leadership styles. One is goal-directed or transactional. In other words, you have a deadline, you have a project, you have a date, and you have to meet that. So it's a transaction that you're working towards. The second type of leadership style is what's called transformative or transformational. And that is more community-driven. It's more collaborative. And again, neither of these are right or wrong. Uh, it really depends on the situation. As a, as a woman, if you have a deadline, you may put on that tran, uh, transactional, goal-directed leadership style. And then you may have another project that involves more collaborative work, and you may put on that transformative leadership style. And so first of all, what um, we found, and other research has substantiated as well, is that leadership style is fluid. It's not just fixed, we don't just have one way of being and that's the only way we're being. Um, The second thing that I found that for women, if we adopt a leadership style that is not authentic to ourselves, we are more likely to experience stress and ultimately burnout, which for me was such, I mean, when I say it to you, it sounds, yeah, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But really to see the numbers and to see that percentage of women that say, you know, I would rather be this kind of leader, but I feel pushed to be this kind of leader. That is that disconnect that makes us feel more stressed and makes us, you know, experience that burnout. And then we step out of the workplace. And then, you know, it's a cycle that, well, the workplace isn't meant for me, When that's not true. We're just trying to fit ourselves into a mold that it's not true to our own uh, style of leadership. Makes sense. I love it. So that kind of leads
0: to the whole mental aspect of women. Um, The myth is women suffer overall from more unhappiness. There's more depression compared to men.
1: Um, Is that true? Or is it just that men don't talk about it? When don't And <laughs> that women are diagnosed, are twice as likely to get diagnosed with mental health issues like depression. Now, you raise an interesting point. Is that because we experience it more or because we're more open or society is more accepting of us talking about that? Of course, it's multi-layered. My goal wasn't really to try to peel away that. My goal was really to look at the uh the the you know, kind of on the other end when you're coming out of it. What can we do to prevent that? So one of the big things I had a chance to look at was in a study of close to 4,000 people. And I wanted to see what happens before we experience these depressive symptoms, you know, before you're feeling like, why can't I get out of bed? Why am I in this fog in my head all the time? What is the step before that and what can we do about it ultimately? And I found that this idea of optimism or life outlook is almost like a buffer. So people who tend to have a more positive outlook. And by that, you know, I mean an an outlook that says, you know, I, I think the best out of this situation or I believe good things will happen to me in the future, not in a blind optimism way, because there's lots of research about that, too, where you kind of blindly believe without actually doing the work, but really just a general disposition that I'm going to work hard. And I think that good things could come from my hard work that I'm putting into this. So that really is a buffer, changing that mindset. Now, how do we do that? For men, I found that the big thing was that they have to feel a sense of agency or autonomy. So in other words, they have to feel like I can make this change in order to have this buffer against depressive symptoms. For women, it was like we mentioned a little bit earlier, Christy, that we have to feel like we can step out of that ruminative cycle. So for women, it's almost like when we're in our head, we just can't kind of look up or look out and say, how can I even see the positive? And so lots of really quick things. Um, I'm also a licensed psychologist. One of the things I talk about is even just yelling stop when those thoughts keep swirling in your head is just like kind of or even, you know, clapping your hand, something loud and physically arresting to almost tell your brain, I need to stop this thought pattern. Another thing that we that I, you know, it's been very helpful even in a the therapeutic setting is to give yourself that space to experience that negative emotion. So say, hey, for five minutes, I'm gonna get angry, I'm gonna feel angry, I'm gonna say all the things I'm angry about, or I'm gonna feel sad. You know, what am I upset about? Why, you know, and, and not try to rationalize or upset it just kind of own that emotion. But once that time is up, we don't want that cycle to continue. So we we need to just kind of say, hey, you know what, my five minutes is up, maybe I need another two minutes just to kind of feel sad. And that's okay. But I'm not going to keep carrying that on throughout the day. And this has been so powerful for two reasons for a lot of, of my clients, when they come to me, the first is that, first of all, it allows them it gives them permission, almost that Hey, you can feel this way. It's okay. You don't have to rationalize it. You don't have to explain it, not to me, not to yourself, not to anyone. Just say, say the words, that emotion, and, and just allow yourself just to sit in that moment. But the second thing it does is it, it puts a boundary. It says that this emotion isn't going to be carried through for the entire day, the entire week, and so on. Because I've had my you know almost like when you go to the bathroom you know when you have kids and you kind of shut the door and you're like i just need 10 minutes of quiet in here give me you a know? moment then you see yeah. fingers coming through <laughs> exactly <laughs> yep we've all been there <laughs> so it's, it's almost that same principle that you are creating this space this small little space that you're going to stay in but the minute you step out you're done. You're not going to let that thought. And it's almost like when that thought comes back in, you you say stop or you replace it with something that you're grateful for, or something positive or that optimistic outlook like, well, I'm going to do this. And I am hopeful that something positive will come out of this action that I'm doing. So you're, you're creating the space. You're stopping that. You're creating a clear boundary for that emotion. And then you're replacing it with a more positive, either gratitude or optimism as well. I love it.
0: Well, this was such an amazing conversation. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find your book, all of that information? Because I feel like there is like we just kind of scratched the surface on unpacking this whole conversation. I really feel like I feel like there's probably so much more we could talk about. Where can they find you?
1: Um, so I have a website, tracyalloway.com. Um, lots of great tips in there, information about my books. Think Like a Girl is coming out soon and uh, covers a lot of the topics that you and I had a chance to talk about today, um, available on, on booksellers everywhere.
0: Awesome. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And I can't re- wait to read the book and to dive into all the different aspects and, um you know, I think this is just such an important topic that as women, we all need to talk about, be uh, be aware about, and and just make sure that we're more equipped um, to help ourselves and our own lives and the people that are around us. Because I feel like that's what we're here on this earth to do, um, is to make other people better. So thank you again. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, we'll be back next week with another conversation. You can find any links discussed in this podcast in the description below. If you like this episode, please leave us a review and hit the subscribe button. It helps us so much. You can listen on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We are here weekly with brand new episodes. See you guys soon.